Hey, we've got a celebration today before I start my message. This time 12 months ago, I was on an operating table becoming a bionic man, getting a plastic hip. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Yeah. And I love my family because in celebration, we now have an ankle in a moon boot, a knee in a knee thing, knee brace, Another knee, no good, and an infected toe. So just really, that's really good of them, I reckon, to just rally around on my anniversary. But it obviously shows that they're not in the will of God, but I am, quite clearly. The question is, are you in God's perfect will this morning? Are you in God's perfect will this morning? Romans 12, verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not confirm to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. I had a look most of the week trying to find another place in the Bible where it talks about or mentions God's perfect will. If there's some theologians here who can tell me otherwise, this is the only passage in all of the Bible that says God's perfect will. I don't know about you, but I've heard some interesting teaching and discussions about God's will and his perfect will remember many years ago in the church we were at, this guy had a target and the bullseye was God's perfect will. And if you did this, this and this and you were doing this and all these doing things, then you were in the target, you were in the zone. The next level around the outside of that was God's permissive will. And he said, that's the sort of things you get away with. But that's not, if we want to give titles, that's not God's permissive will. God's permissive will is what he allows in your life to complete his perfect will. So if maybe you weren't reading the Bible 15 times a day, well then you'd be in that one. And then I'm not sure what the last one was. I think you, you had to be a Parramatta or New South Wales supporter or something. That, that was, you know, you were, the next step was hell, you know, really. That was, you know, you were doomed. But that, and I, and I thought, and you went, and you're thinking later, really? I'm glad I've matured over the years. A lot of that was doing. I'm not sure whether the God's will is about doing or being. Well, I am sure. I think it's about being, not doing. Because I struggle with that kind of concept that if you're doing this, this, and this, you're in the perfect will of God or you're in God's, God's will. It can bring condemnation to those around you. There was a man in the temple one day going, Oh God, I'm glad I'm so good. I'm glad I give to the poor. I'm glad I read the scriptures. I'm glad I pray. I'm glad I'm not like that stinking taxpayer sinner over there. I'm in God's will. If you know the scripture, what did Jesus do? He said to his disciples, He's a lunatic. This man over here is in God's will. 
that's probably paraphrased, but that's what he was saying, and it suits my sermon. I'd better pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're here this morning. We thank you that we're part of your family. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will speak and whisper in our, to our spirit, to our ears, the things that we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure many of you have heard of David Wilkerson. Wrote a fairly popular book called The Cross and the Switchblade, a, a um, pastor, preacher, whatever, that was God took from the back blocks of America to uh, New York and to the Bronx, I think, and that sort of area. And now I read an article and had this story in it. It's a young, man, a, a young man felt he had a call on his life to work with youth and children. All ministry doors keep shutting. I pray for open doors, but God doesn't seem to hear. I feel so useless, boxed in by my circumstances. The only ministry I do now is once a week. I help out with an outreach in a slum area. I serve as a big brother to a preacher's son because his dad is very sick. But that's all I'm doing. I, be I believe God has more for me. When I heard this, David says, I told the young man, I want you to understand something. What you are doing right now is more precious to the Lord than if you were preaching to thousands in some stadium. Usefulness has nothing to do with numbers. You're playing a part in saving that preacher's son. Go and be a friend to those slum kids God has given you. Be satisfied in this time and this place. And know you are living in God's perfect will because you're being faithful in the little things. Like this young man, if we think by doing we will be in the centre of God's perfect will, we will soon have problems. Because generally when you think, have that mindset, it's about doing. I've got to do this. I've got to, God, wants, God set me to do this and all these things. So what happens when we don't meet our quotas that we've set? I've only prayed two hours instead of five today. I only read five chapters instead of ten. I haven't fed any hungry men today or helped any old ladies across the street. What happens when we don't think we're fulfilling God's perfect will? We feel useless. We beat ourselves up. Then we strive and stress to complete what we think is God's, what God wants us to do. Many years ago, I lived in a place called Normanton up in the Gulf Country in northwest Queensland. And uh, Yongi Cho, many of us would know that name. He was pretty popular on the, you know, the going around preaching and things like that. And, and it was well known that Yongi Cho prayed for many hours a day. And so I thought, well, I better be like that. So I'd wake up at four o'clock with good intentions of praying till about you know, six or something, Get a, at least I can do a couple of hours. Probably by about quarter past four, I was asleep again. I'd wake myself up, I'd try and get in positions that I couldn't sleep, but it's amazing the positions you can sleep in at half past four in the morning. <laughs> you know, I was so glad when I had a revelation that I wasn't Yongi Cho. Two verses, John 16, 33 and James 1, 2 and 4. John 16. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. What will you have in the world? Tribulation. Where do we live? 
And what's Jesus going to give us? There's a couple listening. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world, Jesus said. James 1, 2 and 4, we all love this verse. Verses, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Hip, hip. Yeah. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What great verses. There's two things we need to know about the will of God, perfect or otherwise. I find it a bit funny that the will of God you can give different titles to because I thought God was perfect, so I kind of figure that well, whatever will it is, it'll be perfect, isn't it? That's just my thought. I've got no scripture to back it up. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purposes. God allows things to happen that his perfect plans and purposes, his perfect will, will be fulfilled. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with us wherever we are, whatever we're doing, no matter what life throws at us, God is with us. We need to grasp those things because if we haven't got those two ideas, you'll be all over the place thinking about God's will. Two men in the Old Testament, Joseph and Moses. God used both of them to save his people. Like the young man in David Wilkinson's story, Joseph had a dream when he was young that his family would bow down to him. So off he went with his dream, telling everybody, this is it. Where did it get him? In a pit? Slavery? Jail? But then he became the second in charge of an adulterous, ungodly nation. How could this man be in the perfect will of God if he was involved in all those things impossible you would say wouldn't you of course he couldn't have been in the will of God but Joseph went through all that so that his family would be, cho- would be saved his chosen pe- God's chosen people God's perfect will Moses on the other hand sort of was the other way around he grew up in this idolatrous, pharaoh-worshipping society. He was, in the, he was picked up by the pharaoh's daughter, wasn't it? And so he grew up in the palace. He was one of them. How could he possibly be in the will of God if he's one of them? He murdered someone. Then he had to run away into the, into the desert, the backside of the desert. How could that possibly be? How could he be in the will of God? He was insecure. He didn't want to follow God's plan. Even when God was giving it to him direct. He didn't want to do it. He had anger issues. I guess when you were leading that, um, I'll give him that one I think, when you hear how the Israelites acted out in the wilderness with him. How can, if you've got all these problems, how can you be in the will of God? God certainly wouldn't be want to be with that type of person, would they? A murderer? 
people with anger issues, people in jail. But Joseph sums it up in Genesis 45, 7 and 8. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for many survivors, for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me. He's talking to his brothers. His brothers had caught up with him and they'd worked it out who who each other was. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh and the lord of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Like Joseph, God was with Moses every step of the way and like Joseph, God used him to free his people. Dare I say it, in God's perfect will. And his plans and purposes were made complete by these two men. We need to understand that God is a faithful creator. Much of the agony we put ourselves through in times of trial and suffering has to do with our disregard of God's faithfulness or his place as our creator. He is our sovereign creator with the right to do with us as he pleases. Yet he is faithful and will only do what is ultimately best for us. That is so hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? When the world's falling in. But if we don't grasp those two thoughts, our faith and our understanding of God's will for us will be like a yo-yo, up and down. One minute you're in the will of God, the next minute you're out of the will of God. If I do this, that'll get me back in. No, 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 no. In the last 18 months, I've had a fatigue problem. I've had low iron, which really helps a fatigue problem. Broken hip. So obviously I wasn't in God's will. I was probably sinning in some way. But now that I'm better, I'm back in God's will. Does that make any sense? I'm glad. David and Greg had just been to Uganda. I haven't had a chance to chat with David, but I've heard you know, miracles were happening and healings and all sorts of wonderful things. How many people this week have you prayed for and got healed? David, say none, please. <laughs> none, yeah. <laughs> so obviously when he was in Africa, he was in the perfect will of God, wasn't he? No. You haven't been listening, have you? So now he's back here. Has anyone got saved through anything you've told them about this week? No, no, here, back in. Not, don't, worry about, don't worry about when you're in the perfect will of God. I'm talking about now when you're out of God's will. <laughs> not here. But is David out of God's will? I don't think he is. But that thought pattern of being good, doing all that, it's still around. But it's got nothing to do with being in God's will. Where was I? So we need to understand God allows things to happen and he leave, never leaves. No, that's not. I've done that, haven't I? What did I do? Oh, thank you. <laughs> she, she's the projectionist. <laughs> Now, 
You've probably all heard of the, the passage of John 9 about the man that was born blind. We've all heard that or read it somewhere along the line. I wouldn't have really thought that would be a, a great scripture to talk about God's will or God's perfect will. But obviously God had other plans. So looking at that, I read it in my daily readings the other day, trying to keep myself in God's perfect will doing my daily reading. There was a man born blind... Now, how could he possibly be in the will of God? He couldn't even go to the temple. He couldn't go to church. So if you're not going to church, well, obviously you're not in God's will. So God obviously wasn't with him because either him or his parents had sinned. True? That's what the Jewish population were thinking. And they asked that to Jesus. And yet listen to what Jesus says in verse 3 of chapter 9. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You'd have to be close to being in the world. Maybe he was on that second circle. I reckon he was in the perfect will of God. He was in God's will. Here's the man who comes out of obscurity, gets prayed for, gets healed, causes a storm among the religious leaders and disappears back into obscurity and he did, well, nothing. He was probably, I don't know whether he had a prophecy when he was three that one day this man would come and pray for him and he'd get healed. I'd probably doubt it. So he's probably there doing what he does every day of the week. Maybe his parents have brought him out, sat him on the side of the road, so that he could beg or whatever. So day after day, and then this Jesus character comes along and bang, he's right there in the middle of God's will. He's part of a miracle that would show God has been revealed through this man. He may have prayed, but I doubt whether he read the scriptures because I don't think they read, only the priests read the scriptures in those days. He didn't start a church. He didn't even go to church because he wasn't allowed. Although he did preach a pretty good message to the Jewish leaders after he got healed, shook them up a bit. He didn't feed the poor or open orphanages or anything. He just sat by the side of the road. And there he is, smack bang in the, dare I say it again, the middle of God's perfect will. It is interesting that though he was a part of God's will, he couldn't go to the temple because he was blind. He wasn't perfect according to the religious leaders or to the, com the community as well. Obviously because he or his parents were sinners. Now it's interesting that Jesus told him, if you know the story, Jesus put some mud on his eyes and then told him to go and wash off in the pool of Siloam. Why was that? Jesus could have just put his hand on his shoulder or just spoken the word and he could have been healed. I found out this week that the pool of Siloam is where the Jews on their way to the temple would go in, would wash, make themselves clean, come out the other side and then go on to the temple. Think of the significance of that. Here is an unclean, blind beggar. He goes into the pool... He comes out the other side 
seeing. He's been made clean according to the rights and rules and regulations. They would wash themselves before entering the temple. And what did it do? It washed the outside. Made the outside appearance look good and acceptable before God was their belief. So as he did the same, he went and then he was acceptable to society by cleansing the outside. There's another scripture in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus wanting to know how we'd get eternal life. And Jesus told him to keep the commandments. And he said, I do. I and I you know, look after my parents and I'm, I'm a good bloke, basically. And all these things I have kept from my youth. He's honoured God, he's honoured his family, he's, he's kept the commandments. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus has gone another step. He's dealing with the inside. This guy was good and good person. But Jesus saw something within that was keeping him from the kingdom of God, keeping him from eternity. Do we all have to go and sell our goods? No. But we do need to look inside and allow God to work as what is on the inside. Jesus showed him his heart. Jesus knew that Jesus knew that for the young ruler to enter life, he had to have a change of heart to renew his mind. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Yesterday we were driving and there was a lady talking on the radio. And uh, she had like double lots of cancer or something Things were had lumps and some were bad and all this. So it wasn't really. She hadn't had a very good year, and uh, she said during this time I was I was praying for my wants. I, you know, I wanted to be healed. I, you know, I wanted these things to go right. I wanted to be back how I was. And he kept praying. She kept praying like that, and then she realised she needed to pray for her needs. I would have thought they were needs. I had them in the needs character. But after listening to this lady, perhaps they're not. They want, she wanted to be healed, she wanted to be better. So this thought came to her that she began to pray for her needs, the needs to change her thoughts, to change the inner person, the spirit person. Romans 1, Romans 12, sorry, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, pleasing, sorry, and perfect will. Remember, God looks not at the outward appearance but the inward. He looks at the heart. 
I believe if our heart is towards God and we apply this first, first offering ourselves, our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our true and proper worship, and renewing our, wor- our, our mind by reading the word of God, God's will for your life, our life, will be continually opened up before us. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you're from, what you do, or where you're at in life at this very moment, you are in God's will for your life. Isn't that exciting? <clears throat> Isn't that exciting? <laughs> That's freedom in Christ. Can I have the... Um, I'll have music team and those doing the stewards that will be... Uh, Handing out, they could hand out the communion, please. That'd be good. Can we go back to John chapter 9, our blind man? As I said, Jesus told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He went in a blind beggar and came out clean, able to see. He was changed. He was so changed that many of the people that knew him weren't even sure if it was him. They thought it was somebody else. There were questions, is this really him? To make him acceptable to those around him is why Jesus sent him in through the pool, that he would come out clean. Nice and clean on the outside. But these people who went in this on a daily process to the temple could be clean on the outside but still quite rotten on the inside. Unlike many others going to the temple, our blind man had also been cleansed on the inside. His heart, his spirit had been changed. Reading from verse 30, The man answered and said to them, "This he's speaking to the uh, religious leaders, why, this is a marvellous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins and you are teaching us, and they cast him out. He's had a revelation, hasn't he? That the religious leaders didn't get. He's been changed. When he went through that pool, he was changed in the inward man. Then Jesus found him when he'd been cast out. And he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? You have both seen him, and he is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe And he worshipped him. He not only had a cleansing on the outside, he had a cleansing on the inside. And that's what the cross is about. Jesus came to die for our sins, to clean the inside and make us right with God, no matter who we are, where we come from, and no matter what our history or where we are now. When God looks upon you and me, 
He sees perfection because of what Jesus did on the cross. We talk about the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ and that is between us and God. So when God looks, he just sees perfection. Let's just take a while as the piano plays in quietness and just reflect on what Jesus has done for us today. Maybe this morning you're, you're a bit like that target. But to be in the will of God, you think you have to do stuff, whatever that stuff is. Just as we sit in this time of quiet and think of what Jesus did on the cross. Just remember that Christ has set you free. And when Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. We need to get the order right. In Ephesians 2, it says in verse 8, 4, by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As we apply Romans, Romans 8 to our lives, As I said, God will open up his will for us. That we know that things will happen that perhaps we don't understand or like. And yet it's, God's, it's for God's greater purpose. And we can know when these things happen in our life that he is with us because he has promised us that. Let us stand together. If we just take these simple emblems, the little bit of biscuit that represents his body and the little cup that represents his blood that was shed for us. Let us join together this morning in remembrance of Christ, our King, our Lord, our Saviour, our Redeemer, that through him we have been set free. Let us eat and drink together in the name of Jesus Christ.